What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am super excited to welcome Susan Niebergall to the show. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hey, Chris. How are you? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Thanks so much for for hopping on. Uh, for anybody maybe not familiar with you, uh, do you want to introduce yourself uh, to, to give everybody a little background? Sure. Um, I'm Susan Niebergall. I own Susan Niebergall Fitness. I'm also um, co-coach in the uh, Site Fitness Inner Circle with Jordan Syatt. Um, and I am just, um, I'm a 60-year-old female basically wanting to spread the message that it's never too late to change because my story basically comes from, I have a history of yo-yo dieting, never being able to keep the weight off. Um, I was never obese, but I was always heavy. Um, and always struggled with weight and, and did a lot of things throughout the decades of trying to lose weight, things that we thought were the right thing to do. Um, and it never worked. <laughs> it never worked until um, about six years ago, things started turning around. And, um, you know, lots of trainers, working with trainers in between that time and trying every kind of diet or every kind of fad or whatever in those decades. Um, but never really putting the pieces of the puzzle together until recently. And so I've kind of taken on my mission to help, especially middle-aged women understand that we think it's too late for us when, when we get even past 40 or something like that. But I am really trying to get the message out to everybody. It's not too late. You, you, we just have to rethink a bunch of things that we've been programmed to think for decades now. And, um, put some work in and you can do whatever you want. I mean, you can lose fat, you can build muscle. It, it's just the world's still opened us. Like it's not over, which yeah. a lot of people think. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I, um, I feel like I run into conversations like that sometimes um, with people who are maybe a little bit older and uh, think that that time period to make progress or set PRs or like achieve some type of look that they've always wanted is, well, that's, that's just in the past. So I'll focus my sights elsewhere. And, and that's always discouraging when I hear that. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I hear that all the time. And, and I think one of the common things is that women tend to blame like um, midlife and menopause and perimenopause and, and, and everything for the reason why they're struggling. Um, and there are a lot of physiological things that happen to us as we get older. That That is very true. But we give them way too much credit for why we're not succeeding. And I think I, I was one of those people, too. And I think once you can break through that and understand that you are still in control, you know, you, you still control what happens um, and start finding the areas in your life that you can make little adjustments here and there, you're, you're going to find that you can make all kinds of progress. And once that starts to happen, it's like people change. The, the confidence comes out, which bleeds over into every aspect of your life, you know? And I think that's, that's life-changing, you know? And it, what's cool about that is when that happens at any age, actually, it doesn't matter how old you are, but it's really cool, I think, to see middle-aged people have that happen to them. I love watching that. Um, I can't describe, I don't have words to adequately describe how incredible it feels and how incredible it is to see people who discover this. Um, but it is possible. And I, I decided to write a, a book and it, actually it's coming out very soon 
on my whole journey and all the mistakes I made and how I ended up turning it around. And I think the reason for that is because I want to show people, you know, I'm no one special. I did ever, I did all the stuff that most everybody did back in the nineties and early two thousands and even eighties, you know, I did all the crazy stuff. Um, and I still, you know, it, it, I was still able to change it. And so it's kind of a, a, a it's a memoir. It, it's a fitness memoir, I guess, of all my fitness mistakes <laughs> and then how I fixed them. And then, uh, you know, a little how to section. Here's how, here's how, here's some groundwork to lay down for you to fix it, to fix it as well, to start to follow. Um, but, but again, it's all about, it's all about understanding that we still really do control this and that it is possible. And I think that's such an important message. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you about the the book. It's February 7th. It is, mm-hmm. Do I have that right? Yeah, awesome. knock on wood. Knock um, on wood. <laughs> just, I'm, you know, I'm in the self-publishing world and I'm there. there's a lot of things that happen in there that I mean, I'm, I'm learning this. And um, yeah, that that is right now. That is the date. It could be altered, but just a little here and there. But right now, February 7th is it. It'll be on Amazon. It'll be digital or um you know, book, book, physical book. That's awesome. Well, that's, that's so cool that you're publishing basically the, the highs and lows of what you've been through, because I feel like <laughs> a lot of those lows are, are what we keep stashed away in our own training journals or logs. And uh, we don't show anybody and we keep them hidden because we're kind of maybe embarrassed to, you know, make it public where, where mm-hmm. your progress stalls or where you maybe see things track back in the direction that goes against, uh, the, you know, where you wanted to go. So, mm-hmm. um, was that uncomfortable at all for you? Or are you kind of, a, a, an open book in terms of, you know, wanting to share those experiences to be able to help other people? I'm, an, I'm totally an open book about that for that, for the exact reason you just said, but what was interesting is to try to try to really recall things that happened 30, 40 years ago with some detail enough to write it. Because as I was jokingly telling somebody, I didn't take notes back then. So, <laughs> so remember the things that are popping up into my memory are things like I did jazzercise. Like that was a big thing. That's probably my first real intro to working out. And that was in the 80, 1980, blah, blah. I don't even know. Right. But I remember I didn't really care for it. I tried to go in there and like it and participate. And I remember it was, I didn't feel comfortable there. It wasn't my thing for whatever reason, but I talk about that. I talk about, I did Jenny Craig um, and people that don't know what that is. It is a kind of a meal planning dieting thing that back in the eighties and early nineties was pretty new then. Um, and I talk about my experience with that kind of situation and how that didn't help me ultimately. And, and one of the big things I talk about a lot because it, it bled into recent history. So a little bit easier to write about was how I was such a clean eater. I was that person that wore that term with a badge of honor and I would turn down, um, you know, treats or whatever. And I get, I talk a little bit in the book about this example of when I was a school counselor at my school office, we would celebrate each other's birthdays and we would take turns bringing in treats for somebody's birthday. And we'd all gather in the little office kitchen and, you know, have whatever and wish the person happy birthday. And I never partook in that ever. Well, I shouldn't say ever. I probably did maybe once or twice, but hardly ever. I would go and participate, wish happy birthday, but I would never eat the cupcake. I would never eat the piece of cake or 
whatever, because I was a clean eater and that was going to destroy everything I thought in my head. I was that person. Right. And the interesting part about that, um, and I touch on this a lot in the book is how, um, people kept telling me how they thought I was disciplined and how strong I was because I did that. Right. And, and that fueled the fire that kept that was almost my validation that sure. what I was doing was correct, right? Because everyone was like, oh my God, how do you do this, Susan? That's incredible. And here I was standing there, not ha- the only person in the room, not having a piece of cake or whatever, <laughs> and thinking to myself, I really want a piece of cake. I really wanted that piece of cake. I want to be like you, you know, and be able to have that piece of cake and laugh and enjoy it and blah, blah, blah. And, it, but yet they're praising me for, you, you know, I mean, it was just, the, it was weird. Um, but stuff like that, I think is really common. People try to eat clean. They think that that is the right thing to do. And I honestly believe that people in my generation, we were brought up a couple with a couple of things that, that were either black or white. And one is food. It was good or bad food. We did. We were brought up that way. Like cake was bad, quote bad. Right. Um, and when you're brought up that way, that's a tough one to let go of, you know, um, and, and I think that takes practice, that takes some trust and some time, but you can eventually work through that. And, and the same thing, like with the scale, we were brought up to think if the scale goes up, that's bad. If it goes down, that's good. And that was it. There was no talk of fluctuations or why the scale may randomly have popped up or why it may all of a sudden whoosh down a couple pounds. Knew nothing about that. Zero. And so you're thinking, oh my God, I went out for dinner last night. The scale's up today. I gained two pounds. Oh my God, I need to reduce my calories. So that whole cycle gets perpetuated. I talk a lot about that kind of thing in the book too. That's really good. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of us that are are trying to help people um, are trying to preach like specifically what you just mentioned that healthy versus unhealthy foods and like, oh, this has protein. So it's healthy or this is high fat. So it's unhealthy. Or like, this is like you said, a piece of cake or a cookie or a dessert is unhealthy. But in reality, having some type of structure that allows you to be able to include those types of foods, that that's actually probably closer to what healthy would be, or at least how I would describe it. A hundred percent. It being able to have foods you love and be able to make the progress you want and learn to include everything that's healthy. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. That's what that that's what healthy is. And um that's not what I thought it was, you know, b- back then. Yeah. Um and and so I think that I think it's really common. I mean, I, I'm sure with the people you work with, the people that I work with, we we, we see this, right? They they still struggle with allowing themselves to enjoy some things in moderation, right? Because it's going to ruin all their progress, you know, and, and that is, um, you know, it's a tough one. It's, it's, it's a mindset thing that we have to continuously work on. And and it's like the scale. I was telling somebody the the other day that, you know, like the scale spiked for me two days ago. Do I like it? No, of course I don't like it. I'll never like it. But the difference now is I don't let the emotion of not liking it dictate what I do next. Like I have to reduce my calories. I have to do this. I just don't allow that to happen anymore. I still don't like it. And I still get the little mini kick in the gut. Every time you see it go up, that part's okay. I mm. think, cause we're human beings, right? We have to feel we, we are going to feel, but where it's not okay 
is where we allow that emotion to now determine what we do next. And that's where we all get into trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. That's uh, that's really good stuff. I, um, you mentioned that, you know, strength training is, is part of what you're passionate about. And I'm curious how, how you got into strength training initially. I know you, you mentioned some of the different things you hopped on, like mm-hmm. jazzercise and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Where did, where did strength training kind of enter the picture for you? It came in the nineties. Um, when I was a member at a gym and I was primarily doing classes at that point. And back then they were like aerobics kind of classes with a little weight segment at the end. You know, you pick up the little weights and you do your little bicep curls or whatever we did. Um, and over in the, in, in the distance where I could see, I could see the weight room and I started watching and started getting fascinated with what I was seeing going on over there. I was watching trainers and I just started thinking I would really like to learn that, you know? And so I stuck my neck out and, um, I went over there a couple of times and just kind of replicated what we did in classes, which I look back on. And I think, yeah, that wasn't a great idea because what we did in classes probably wasn't helping me in any way, but that's all I knew. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would just observe. And I finally signed on with a trainer there. And, and that was back in the nineties. And that's where the actual instruction started. And I worked with a ton of trainers over the years, just where whatever gym I was belonging to at the time. And I would always want to uh, work with somebody because I just wanted to continue to learn. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I got something from every single trainer I've ever worked with. I took away something from them. They, they all lit a bit of a fire in me to want to continue to get strong, you know, and that just kept going and going and going. But to the point where I started almost taking it to an extreme, like I would work out six, seven days a week mm. and sometimes two a days and not just a cardio and a strength train two a day, but two strength train days, like more was better. Like if I could do one, let me do two. I've been there. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. And um, that wasn't that long ago. That that period was right before I started working with Jordan. And um, he's the one that scaled me back from all of that to four days. And I thought I was going to absolutely go crazy, you know, for the first like week. Yeah. It was almost like, I, I mean, I'm not a drug user. I've never have been a drug user, but I can only imagine if you're addicted to something and you're trying to come off of it cold turkey, I can, that, that, that irritability that I don't know, I just stuff. Yeah, I read you just about, feel uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. I, that's what it was for the first week. I was like, I have to do something. But as I found, and as you know, as, as we both know, when you can allow your body to rest, oh my God, the next workout is so much better and your progress starts skyrocketing, right? Because you're allowing your body to rest. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The idea of just like clearing out fatigue, uh, that's yeah. been sitting there yeah. for forever. Um, it's a, it's a hard one. Yeah. And so we've both been there. I've been there too. uh, do it. And, and for me as well, you know, as recently as a couple of years ago, I was doing the two days because yeah. more, if, if this much helped me make progress. Well, then more of it is going to help yep. me make more progress. Yep. I even, you know, years ago thought, well, if I'm eating this much protein and I'm making progress, then I, if I eat more and more protein, I'm going to make more and more progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a whole moderation to it. And I, I, I think that's a tough one. I think it's been tough for you and I, and I think for a lot of people and, and just, um, accepting rest as a piece to the puzzle, you know, it's part uh, of the process. It's a, it's, it is 
just like you have a squat day and a deadlift day or whatever's part of your program, your rest day is a very intentional programmed piece to that puzzle. It's, it's, um, I know that's hard. That's hard for a lot of people, especially when you've been doing a ton, but it's, it's, it's very, very important to be able to scale things back. And I think for me, and I think a lot of people, um, when, when I see somebody that works out as much as I used to, and they, they always tell me, and this is what I said too, you know, if, if you're asked, why do you work out so much? I love it. Oh, I love it. And you know, th- there's, for me, there, that was true. I did love it, but that wasn't the reason mm-hmm. I was working out so much. It was out of fear. And I, and I, and I, when, when I confront people about this, this is what usually comes out that they are afraid to not work out that much mm-hmm. because if they don't, they are afraid they're going to lose their progress. They're going to get fat or they're not going to make progress or something like that. So it is all driven by fear. And that's why they, they say, I can't take a rest day. I can't take a rest day. That was me because I was afraid to take a rest day because, oh my God, what happens if I take a rest day? I'm not burning calories or I'm not doing what I need to do. You yeah. know, And the irony through that for me, at least, was I was making no progress, none. And I couldn't, I could, I look back on it now and I can easily see that, but I couldn't see it in the moment. I thought I was making progress. I was making no progress, but once I scaled back to four days a week and literally resting three days a week, my progress shot through the roof and it was crazy to see that. And people, it's so funny, even now, when I tell people I work out four days a week, they go, well, what do you do the other days? I'm like, <laughs> rest. (laughs) Nothing. I mean, I, and I will say it's changed slightly. I mean, I, I'm, I've become a walker. I used to hate walking. I like to walk not in this weather. So I'm not outside walking now. I have, I, I got a spin bike for our house. So I'm, I go on an easy ride instead of a walk. Um, so I will move every day. I will, but I'm not going to work out every day. And I think therein lies the difference. You don't have to like sit all day for a rest day, you know, you don't have to just sit and not that way and literally don't do anything, but it's, it's like, go for a walk, go for a light bike ride, do something like that. That's, that's great every single day, but don't think that adding a day of hit is a rest day, (laughs) (laughs) right? You know, (laughs) cause that's what people do. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, uh, I actually try to be kind of intentional with, um, the language I use around, the difference between the two. And so I'll specifically, specifically call certain days, training days mm-hmm. and other days, active recovery, because yeah. a lot of people want to continue to do something on that rest day. And like you said, it can be a walk. Mm-hmm. So you're getting the blood flowing, you're, you're burning off some energy. You're maybe getting a little sweat. You feel good because of that, but it's not necessarily, um, anywhere near the intensity level or mm-hmm. the intention of an actual training day. It's not taxing your muscles or your nervous system, you know? And, right. and I think therein definitely lies the difference. You know, yo- yoga is kind of a great, I t- tell people, if you, if you like yoga, put some yoga in there if you want, or some mobility work or walk or, you know, the bike or, or whatever it is. Um, absolutely. Or you don't have to do, I mean, I have a day like tomorrow's probably gonna be one of those days for me, just as it turns out that I probably will not be doing much of anything. I've got a bunch of other things around the house. I'm doing my days packed. So um, that might be one of the days that's okay. And, and when I first started doing this, 
just scaling back to four days a week, literally, I, I mean, I wasn't walking. I really wasn't getting steps in like I should have. And I see that now, but um, I literally didn't do anything. I mean, that was, it was a rest day. So I didn't go to the gym. And what was really kind of nice about that is when my next workout day came up, I was so excited to go. Yeah. You know, I wasn't working out because I was afraid that if I didn't, I mean, the relationship was different now between me and working out. Like yeah. I felt like I had to work out like that. And now it turned into, I can't wait to go, you know? And I think that relationship, the change in that relationship, it was significant. Yeah. I love that. And that's, I've found that both with myself and, and with people I work with that programming a deload week specifically it, it's rest and recovery for your body but then it's also mental recovery so at the beginning of the week you may be man just really burnt out that kind of comes down and then as we approach the beginning of a new training week that anticipation kind of builds and builds and builds so you're super excited to be back in the gym just that you know refreshing yourself mentally as well yeah, uh, yeah. Can be really it, beneficial. It's, it's crazy and, and i think as we get older Rest and recovery days are, I don't want to say even more important because they're important for all of us, right? But really important for us as we get older. Yeah. Just, it, it, you know, the whole age is just a number thing. I, I agree with that to a point, but there are realities with getting older too, and we can't ignore those. I mean, the reality is it may take us longer to recover than it used to. It does me. It it does me. And it like, it even takes me a little longer to bounce back from being sick than it used to. Sure. I mean, there are things that just happen. And so I think we need to put all of that together to, to form how we're going to do things so we can be smart about it, you know? Um, and, and I think it's just being aware that going hard at my age, every single day, I'll, I will be done with this in a, in a year or two. I won't be able to keep going. You know, yeah. I can't, my body can't do it. And, and there are times in life where my workout schedule has to change just because of scheduling, traveling, whatever. And when that happens and I end up having to work out back to back to back days, if I go two days in a row, I'm okay. If I go three days in a row, my body by day three is like, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if I'm doing upper, lower, it, that it's just my body doesn't like it. I feel it. You know, that third day just stinks. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's learning kind of where you're at and understanding that with age, yeah, we have, we have to be smart about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned before about just how you kind of viewed the gym and the, or the weight room from afar before actually yeah. diving in. Um, and I think it's different for everybody. I know for me, the weight room specifically in college as a very skinny kid who ran cross country and, and, you know, didn't know a thing about lifting a weight that was a very intimidating place for, for me. So I watched it from afar at, as being very intimidated. And it took actually having somebody taking me under their wing, showing me the ropes, as you said, like having a trainer that can mm -hmm. walk you through it to get comfortable. Do you find that that experience is common for other people as well, where there's, it takes some type of push to, to get in there and, and yep. become comfortable and overcome those, those fears. I think gym intimidation is a real thing, you yeah. know, especially for women um, and especially for older women who don't really have any experience in a gym. Um, and, and I see, like, I see this at my own gym that, that I work out at. 
Um, I see a couple particular women all the time. They come into the, the weight room section and they wander. They're wandering around and you can tell they, they really don't know what to do, right? They're wandering around. They end up over at the cable machine, let's say, and they'll do bicep curls and they'll do maybe a lat pull down or two, you know, and they might do that back and forth and then they wander and then they leave. And that to me is classic, right? Somebody who really doesn't know what to do. Maybe they're afraid, maybe they're nervous. They can't remember whatever it is. And um, yeah, I tell everybody, if you belong to a gym, the best thing you can do is to hire somebody for a handful of sessions who can show you around, who can get you into a basic routine that you can do on your own so that when you go into the gym, you know where the dumbbells are, you know what you're doing, you know how many sets, you know how many reps, you've done it before. You know, it just builds up your confidence. Um, I think that's super important because so many people are just afraid of being judged or they're afraid of looking stupid or, you know, we all build this up in our head of things that really aren't what's happening. Nobody's really paying attention to you, but we think they are right. Mm -hmm. And, and we're afraid that, oh my God, they're paying attention to me. What are they there? Are they laughing at me or, you know, or whatever. And I get it. I mean, I felt that way too. And, and one thing I wrote about in the book, when I was getting the courage to go over there, I did go over there and I did, I was doing some exercise that we did in class you know, it was like, it was just like one of these, right? I don't even yeah. know what that was for, but I was holding little dumbbells, right? You know, and, you know, I, I know we have pec deck machines and stuff like that, but this was, I, and my elbows were down. I mean, uh, who knows what I was doing? And I had a trainer come up to me and say, or so, was it, I think he was a trainer, came up to me and said something to the effect that I was basically doing nothing, right? <laughs> that what I was doing was not um, helping anything at that point that just about killed me oh, from yeah. ever going back. You know, th that's kind of somebody's worst nightmare, right? It, that came to fruition. He meant it in a nice way, but I, the feeling that I felt, I still feel it in my gut when I talk about it, it's one of those that sticks with you. Um, and so I stayed away for a while. You know, I went back to my classes where I was comfortable. I was getting pretty strong. We were doing some push-ups and things. I was getting okay there. Um, and I had, you know, the community in classes is really nice. So I, yeah. you know, you felt comfortable, kept looking though. And I kept watching this one trainer and that I just said, you know what? I want to go back. I want to learn. So I made myself go back. It was uncomfortable. It was a push I gave myself. Um, and it lit literally changed everything, right? It changed my trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, that that's tough. That, those those it first is. interactions can be make or break for for a lot of people. And I can't really even imagine now going into a weight room for the first time, knowing that everybody has this. Yeah, everybody yeah. is. You know, not everybody's recording themselves, but at a, at a moment's notice, somebody could pick up their phone and you could be caught on camera. You know, like that's that's tough. So it's um, but ha you know that getting past that first experience that you had and, and hopefully people can find the right person to kind of take them under their wing and, you know, work through the fears that they have and get on a program that can make sense and make sure you're doing things that are benefiting your goals. hundred percent. Try to get, try to get, um, get, get on with somebody at the gym, a trainer that, that can help you. You know, you don't have to invest your, your whole year in this. I mean, a handful of sessions to get you going, tell them you want to start building strength. You want a basic strength training routine 
and, and they'll probably show you some very basic movements, which is great. You can add weight to those. And, and from that point on, every time you go to the gym, before you go to the gym, have it written down. And I'm all about a piece of paper. You know, I'm really, I, I understand the beauty of technology, you know, um, mm -hmm. and how we can type into our phones and stuff, but I'm even more fan of writing something down and taking that with you. Um, and, and so you now know what you're going to do. You don't have to wander around the gym anymore and say, what exercises am I going to do today? You know, you don't have to do that because you're going to have it in front of your face. Now, technology is great because if you don't remember what that exercise is, you can, you know, you may have a link to it, a Google link that you can find that exercise video very quickly, you know, in the inner circle, we now, um, are going to have an app coming out. That's going to have the, the videos at a touch. It's just going to pop up easy stuff awesome. like that's phenomenal. Right. Um, but I'm a fan of the piece of paper. This is your menu. This is what I'm doing today. And, and, you know, even for some people, even if you're scared to go in the gym, you know, go in the gym, go walk on the treadmill, just go be in that environment, mm -hmm. look around under, get the vibe, feel it, be there. Even if you walk on the treadmill and you decide to go home, cool. Okay. Maybe next time you'll walk on the treadmill and maybe you'll go upstairs and maybe you do some goblet squats or something, you know, I mean, work your way into stuff that, you know, but just get yourself a little uncomfortable because it, I mean, it will be uncomfortable at the beginning, but it will pay dividends later guaranteed. Yeah. And those are all progress. Each one of yeah. those steps is progress. You know, it's not I mean, you know, I was gonna say it's not a PR, but maybe it is a PR for you. Maybe getting into the gym and walking on the treadmill for 20 minutes is a PR. hundred percent. hundred percent. I love that point. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. You had a post on Instagram and since we're talking about training, I want to dive into it. You had a, a bunch of really good, they just, to me, okay. These are coaching points from, from Susan and I, and I want to run through them and, and get your, your thoughts on it. So the, the first one was, uh, you will have bad days in the gym. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've had, I, gosh, I have had my share of bad days. I, I, I don't know what the number breakdown is, but there's something where, you know, most of your training sessions that you have at the gym are going to be, eh, you know, they're going to be eh, not bad, not good, but just kind of hanging out in the middle. You're going to have a small percentage of them that are, you hit it out of the freaking park. You know, you feel like a superstar and you're going to have some that you feel like, I can't even lift what I lifted last week, you know, and all of that is part of the process. And we tend to get down on ourselves when we get the bottom end of that, the, um, I can't even lift what I lifted last week. That happens to every single one of us at some point in time and, and over and over again, you know, you might've deadlifted, you know, 160 pounds last week. Great. And then you try it this week. And for some reason, it feels like it, it must be 300. Like you check the plates to make sure you have the right <laughs> weight because it feels that heavy. Um, that is normal. And it can be discouraging. But we have to understand that this is part of the process. And just like we tell our clients, you know, fat loss is not the straight, nice, clean line that goes from how much you weigh all the way down to whatever. We, you're going to have all these bumps in the road. Same with training, you know, same with training. And there'll be times where you can't increase your weight that you're moving um, for a long time. You know, the stronger you get, the harder it is to get stronger. Yeah. And, and it, right. And so if you're newer to this out of the gate, you you can probably add weight every week to some degree um, for a while. 
but not if you've been lifting for a while. And so those are the times where you have to really step back and say, you know what, this pretty much sucked today, but cool. It's okay. You know, and maybe it was a sleep thing. Maybe your nutrition wasn't on point, or maybe you're just having a bad day. It's just all normal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Work could have been stressful that day and yep. it takes a toll on your workout routine and, yeah. and, um, there's, there's not always something you can do about it. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> another one more than likely you need to slow down your reps. Oh my gosh. Yes. All the time. I see this. <laughs> People are just busting through reps. And so what happens is momentum kind of drives whatever movement you're doing. Like if your upper body's moving or something, you're using your hips for something that's not intended to have your hips be used. You know, it, it's just, when you start moving a weight super fast, um, get momentum's just carrying what you're doing instead of focusing on the muscles that you're trying to work yeah. and positioning yourself to get the most out of it. And this is such a great example of what happened at the gym yesterday. <laughs> I, we had this, this guy who was doing, he was deadlifting and he did this whole literally dropped from a standing position, 400 plus pounds on the floor. Like he's oh. standing up and <laughs> holding the bar and just goes boop and we're on the second floor of a building, mind you, of an old building. Eesh. So there's all of that, right? Building shaking. Well, this, they told him to stop and he did. But how this relates to what we're talking about, he went over to the leg extension machine. And for those of you that may not know what that is, it's the one where you sit and you're just raising your legs so they come out straight. Um, you're working your quads. Generally speaking, most machines, they have you locked in there sitting and you're just moving. Your quads have to move the lower part of your legs. That's how that, how that machine works. Our machines at my gym, I don't remember the brand, but they're the kinds that the seat actually kind of moves with you a little bit there. I don't, I don't remember the I name. I think is that uh, hoist? Is that? Yes, the, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Hoist. Yes. So we have, so, so there is some movement, right? But not a lot. This guy is throwing his legs up so hard and so fast that the machine is tilting back. Oh, jeez! Like he was about ready and it's making this huge racket. Yeah. When you do a leg extension machine, there should be no noise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First and foremost, there should be no noise. Yeah. And he, it was this huge racket. Point being, he's throwing his legs up. His quads are not being activated nearly as much as they could if he would slow down and slowly raise his legs up. So slowing your movement down is a form of isolating your, your muscle group essentially, you know, and most people would benefit just from doing that. Yeah. That was a big, uh, that was a big step in terms of my growth as a lifter to doing things like controlled eccentrics and just thinking about, okay, the, the time under tension up and then the time under tension down and trying to yeah. get those met to match, or maybe even for some periods of training, you're, you know, one, one second and then four seconds, you know, yeah. it, timing things differently, but like it all comes down to lifting with intention, I guess. Is, yeah. And control. Yeah. And control. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a game changer. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like we've kind of touched on, on some of these other ones throughout already throughout these first two, but what felt light one week can yeah. feel heavy the next. And yeah, yeah. I mean, part of the game, right. And yeah. it's frustrating. It's maddening. It doesn't mean you've lost strength. And that's the key thing to remember. It doesn't mean that, oh my God, I'm regressing. No, yeah. you're not. <laughs> and you, you just nailed it. At some point you will feel like you are losing strength. 
Yeah. But you're not. But you're not. And then uh, I, I love the last one. There will be days when you kick ass. And I feel like those are the ones that, those are the ones to focus on and the ones where you don't do that so much, or maybe you regress, you know, remember the days where you really kicked ass and use those as the motivators to continue doing what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I'll just add to the one thing I've, I've discovered as I've gotten older in particular is how much of a role sleep plays with all of this. Mm. Um, and you know, sleep, middle-aged women struggle with that right now. That that's a lot of hormonal things happening that makes sleep a little bit more difficult, if not a lot more difficult, especially if you're having night sweats and things that are waking you up constantly. So quality of sleep, um, is hard, but quality of sleep is also what is going, I think it makes a significant difference. You know, research always has shown that, right. But I just never clicked with that. I would power through when I was in menopause and stuff, I would power through, virtually no sleep and go to the gym and, and try to, you know, keep pushing and whatever. And, um, now that my quality of sleep has changed dramatically, what a difference it's, it's crazy. So obviously keeping that on the forefront, so we can control what we can control and we do the best we can with it. And everybody gets their quality of sleep, maybe in different ways, right? What works for one person may not work for another. It's just a matter of finding, how you can improve your sleep quality and continue to work to improve your sleep quality. Cause I think you'll see the difference in the gym. Yeah. And that's one that, um, does not improvements in sleep quality do not happen like anything else overnight. Um, it's, yeah. I, I've had some, some real big issues with sleep in the past. I, I had a year where I just was barely sleeping. Um, and I got through that by very, bit by bit incremental habit changes mm -hmm. over time that, you know, result in, in positive sleep quality down the road. So that's a tough one because it is, um, it's not like, uh, you know, if you had a bad day in the gym and, uh, you know, maybe you have some more carbs or a pre-workout the next day, and then your performance is, is a lot better the next day, you know, sleep is one that, that really takes a lot of discipline to, to work on, but the return on your investment there is is just gigantic. And for overall health too, right? I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of research saying, you know, quality sleep's gonna affect your lifespan and your general health and just everything, right? Um, yeah, and, and as you said, it's it's way easier to sit there and say, just get better sleep, okay? Just, just do that. <laughs> yeah. Then it is to actually do it. Um, and it will take practice and incremental steps, all that stuff, yeah. But just an awareness of it to start. Yeah. Um, well, so what are some, you know, if, if there, if anyone listening is, um, interested in getting into strength training or maybe pursuing a weight loss goal or something like that. Um, and they are, maybe they're that person that we talked about at the start where they think I'm past that point. It's not something that's feasible for me. Uh, do you have any practical, practical or actionable steps that people can take, you know, from step one, uh, to, to maybe start moving in the right direction and build the confidence to do that. Sure. I think, um, the first thing, great first step steps would be, first of all, to keep things simple, realize that the first step is not to go into the gym and do an hour long workout and then reduce your calories to nothing and eat lettuce. Okay. That, <laughs> that's not how you do it. I would recommend two things. First thing from the nutrition side is to start 
by literally, and I go back to paper and pencil, and I'm really a stickler for this one on paper and pencil, on a pad of paper, literally write down every single thing you put in your mouth during the course of the day. And that means drinking, that means eating, don't weigh it, don't measure it, don't do any of that, just write it down. If you had a sandwich, write down, I had a sandwich. If you have a handful of chips, I have a handful of chips. If you have a latte, write down latte, but write it. Because when you hand write something, it's here. Yeah. And when it's in here, now we're becoming aware of how much food and drink we're putting into our mouth every day. And that alone, when you do that, that alone is going to bring on some change because you're going to start making small changes. I'm not going to, I don't want to write that down today. You know, once you start seeing how much you're actually consuming, you might make different decisions. And so you've already started the change wheel going, but it starts being simple. Just write it down. Don't change how you eat or anything yet. Write down so you become aware of what you are consuming. And from that point, you can start making decisions in which directions you want to go. So it, it would be for that. And for the training piece, from the very beginning, start walking. Start with that. That's always the best place to start. And even if it's for five minutes, that five minutes may turn to 10 and it's going to turn to 15 and 20. And pretty soon you're listening to a podcast or you're, you know, you're listening to us on a podcast right now or whatever it is. Um, I think that's where you start. A lot of people want to get an online trainer right at the beginning when they have no experience with strength training at all. And I think where for some people that might be possible, I just feel like that for older people, that's an exercise in frustration mm. because you are probably going to want somebody there to walk you through proper form and technique and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I would advise you when you're ready to do that to hire someone in person. And I know right now in the world we're living at, it depends on where you live, if that's even possible right now. Um, and it may not be, but if it is, I would do that. That's always what I recommend because I feel like having someone there, having that appointment so it's just setting you up for the foundation. And once you get that foundation built, then you can explore all kinds of options for you that are out here in the internet world, right? Um, all kinds of online trainers, groups, whatever. But to start learning how to gain strength, I mean, you could do squats at home. Sure, of course. You could learn to do push-ups at home, of course. But when you have somebody standing next to you saying, you know what, this is how you can modify this and get really strong here and then do this, that's where it's at, you know? And again, as we said earlier, it's not about investing a whole year of having to do this. I just say, get a handful of sessions, give it a try, get some confidence going, build from there. But to rewind, it's writing down what you eat every day and walking. That's where everyone really should start from the absolute beginning. I, I love that. And I, and I love writing it down. I've, I've always found to what you said to be the truth, that when you write it down, you remember it more than if you type it into your notes or, or whatever in your yeah. phone. Because um, we do that every day mindlessly. We, we yeah. are- oh. Uh, mindlessly, right? That's all we do on and every in, platform. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. me to write something down, I use, I'm writing a lot of stuff down now and it's like, a, it's a big thing now that I'm writing something down instead of typing. It. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's sad is I, um, I, I like to write stuff down too. So I'll take notes on different scratch paper and stuff. And I've realized now that I type so much that I'm, this may reflect really poorly on me, but I'm almost to the point where I'm forgetting how to write. Like I, yeah, I'll get to, you know, buzzing through something writing and I'll, and I'll have to pause just because it's, 
you know, and then that's made me wonder, you know, are they teaching more typing in school now than are, than handwriting and stuff like well, that? I remember know, the handwriting it is funny stuff because, was And huge. I know you, you, uh, you uh, my, I mean, my kid is, my kid is 23 now, but um, back when he was in fourth, third, third and fourth grade, where you're supposed to learn like cursive and stuff, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't do it anymore. You know, no, cursive. Uh, no he, he didn't write cursive. That wow. dude never, he's 23. He doesn't write. I mean, he'll fake it now, but he, he never learned how to write cursive. Yeah, you just DocuSign now. You don't yeah, have to yeah, sign yeah. your name anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for hopping on. This has been great. Um, of course, this is fun. Yeah. Just to, to wrap up uh, again, you know, where can people find you and, and find the book and all that good stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Instagram, Susan Niebergall fitness, actually all the social media is Susan Niebergall fitness. So Instagram, um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook. Um, I am, I have a podcast called the strong and lean at any age podcast. Uh, I have a big YouTube channel where I have a lot of tutorials, really helpful stuff for, especially for people starting out in middle-aged women. Um, and the book is going to be out on Amazon. I will be when, when the link is live and the book is out and released, you'll hear a lot about that, but Feb 7th is what we're aiming for. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to to share that too. So everybody can, can get a link to it, but. Um, All right. Thank you, Susan. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Chris.